Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, y'all? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out today. We review them, unless they're DC Comics. Those rapscallions, they come out on Tuesdays. They've been out for 24 hours. Yes, but you you can read them them today. You can read comics whenever you want. That's the freedom of the comic book industry. Right. And if you break into a writer's brain... You can read comics that haven't been even been made yet, man. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know what you mean by breaking into a writer's brain, too. You talking about with like a hammer? <laughs> yeah, man. But six feet away, keep your safe distance. Let's get into this because I don't know Wait, where I was going. What? Yeah, what yeah, the I don't fuck? Know. I don't know where I was going with this, Pete. Uh, Iron Man number one from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Kafu. This is, uh, as you can imagine, another new start for Iron Man, a back-to-basic start after the big robot war. Uh, and this book spends quite a bit of time with Tony Stark, the man, before it puts him in a classic Iron Man costume, throws him up against a new old threat. Uh, what'd you think about this book? How'd you, how'd you feel about this versus the last couple of years in Tony's life? I don't know if I'd call it an Iron Man costume, but other than that, um, I think it's, uh, this is a fun book. Um, I feel like Tony Stark is popping a little bit more here. He feels a little bit um, on his own, less tied up in uh, sort of the galaxy brain, worried about everything uh, stuff that he's mostly been in for the last few years and more just like the guy who puts on the suit. It's it's nice to see him not being uh, a robot or a dead version of himself or whatever it is. Like, it's nice to see Tony being Tony. But there's a lot of, like, interesting things in this comic. Like, I didn't really get past the sad girl playing her violin outside of an Apple store and then asked to leave where she was crying and walking away. Like, that was fucking heartbreaking, man. That was cold as ice. Um but I'm interested to see what happens. The problem is what I didn't like was there was like this moment where it was just like the movie where Tony Stark's like, oh, yeah. And then someone comes up to him at a party and it's like, hey, Tony, I got this thing to pitch you. And he's like, yeah, 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 later. And then that person becomes the villain. And that was like we saw that in this uh, comic as well. And I was like, well, it's kind of played out. But all right, I'll 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 see what's what's up. Well, uh, but it plays out differently, right? Because he turns around to the guy and he's differently. like... I mean, that's a classic uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark scenario. Uh, what I liked about this book is I spent most of the running time thinking we were going to be running out of time. That I was like, Jesus, why are they spending so much time on Tony Stark out of armor? Get to it already. You're going to run out of the page length here. But this... Uh, was well-paced. 
It was well uh, thought out, and they clearly gave it a little bit of extra time to breathe so you could spend time with Tony Stark before putting him in an action scenario. Um, I I don't know if it's going to pay out with the page length every issue necessarily like that, but it's refreshing and nice, like you were saying, Justin, to see him on a back-to-basics level Tony Stark because we haven't really seen that in a very, very long time. Yeah, reading this, I was like, oh, yeah, he used to be sort of a dude who dealt with his own stuff and now he's been, you know, trapped in uh, the Neanderthal age in a cave for a while. Um, I also, a couple more details. I love, uh, Terex, um, as a villain, Uh um, like one of my favorite villain characters, cosmic villains who you don't see hardly ever like cool axe, cool look, cool looking dude. And I love the triangle, uh, shield in the first couple of pages and the Iron Man armor. I agree. Uh, good stuff and I good thought, art by Cafu as well. Yes. Yeah, the art was great. The moment where he, you know, spoilers, flies through a helicopter blade was pretty badass. Yeah, all very cool stuff. Uh, let's move on and talk about You Look Like Death, Tales from the Umbrella Academy number one from Dark Horse Comics, story by Gerard Way and Sean Simon, art and colors by... I.N.J. Colbert. Uh, this, of course, does not have the regular artist Gabriel Ba on Umbrella Academy. That's because, yeah, as what you can the probably fuck? tell, hold on, you can probably tell from the title, this is a spinoff, this is a side story focusing on Klaus as he gets kicked out of the Umbrella Academy and heads off to Hollywood. Um, man, this is, this is just a lot of fun. You, you gotta love this. Klaus yeah, getting you, high you on You know drugs. Alex is gonna love this. He, the, the original <laughs> Klaus head. I love Klaus. I also love going back to the Umbrella Academy after being so deep into the show with Umbrella Academy, our Umbrella Academy podcast, yeah. uh, to revisit the characters of the original form. I was like, all right, Kraken's actually a badass and not just a sad sack. That's nice to see. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what's, your fa- what's your favorite type of hero, badass or sad sack? Mm, <laughs> great question. It's very much a toss up. Uh, Pete, you gotta love the vampire monkey, right? Yeah, right? that's that, right. I mean, that, that was that was really fun. First off, wait, 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 hold up. Why'd you go for to Pete for the vampire monkey? Because I was reading the book and I was like, Pete's gonna hate this, but he's gonna like the vampire monkey. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> Well, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I mean, what's upsetting is the the father just kills me in this. Uh, just how cold this fucking dad is is really. It's hard to get past, and it's just hammered all the time during the book. So it's it's tough. I, if this father had any compassion, these kids would have such a better chance in life, and it, it is just uh, heartbreaking. But. Um, Pete shitting on fatherhood, going after the whole enterprise. That's right. I'm, I'm just, you guys better fucking get your shit together and fucking raise I just your kicked kids, out right? my son. I told him he was cut off. Wow. Oh, wow. He headed to Hollywood and got crazy high. Oh, nice. Boy, He's going to love it out there. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I, you know, Klaus is fun. It's nice to revisit this a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I like uh, Gabriel Ba. are you crying pete um i love uh i the art really pops in this especially once um the story moves out to the west coast i feel like uh the the scenes are really really great really fun great all around 
Yeah. Let's move on then to Batman number 99 from DC Comics, written by James yeah. Turner IV and art by Jorge Jimenez. Uh, this is the, I think, penultimate chapter of the Joker War storyline. It this seems is that way. The Joker has basically destroyed Gotham City, taken over Bruce Wayne's fortune. Finally, Batman and the crew are fighting Bat Batman by appealing to his family, saying, I messed up, get back together with me all, let's take this town. Catwoman, meanwhile, is attacking financially, trying to get the funds back. Um, Man, this is the stuff that happens in this issue, and I almost don't want to spoil it, but particularly towards the end, made me exclaim out loud. Like, there are two moments towards the edge of the issue that I went, (laughs) just like that, out loud. What would you guys think about it? Well, I I was really this is a lot of fun. This book is great. Um part of me does really want to kind of get back to the bat and cat stuff uh that was kind of set up before this. So seeing them kind of apart is driving me crazy a little bit. But man, the the whole start of this like Joker rolling in his fucking limo, like this is like really insane to kind of see where where things are right now. And it really does get you kind of like hyped for that end in such a great way. Um, I mean, the panels where Batman just kind of like lands in front of like the spot where he's supposed to be. So epic. So well done. I love this kind of like showdown kind of atmosphere that is being set up. And the reveal at the end was holy fucking shit. Yeah, uh, James Tynan is such a tactical writer. Like, he comes at the full story and the the individual scenes with different angles than we've seen before. Like, we get to spend more time with the Joker than I feel like we get to see normally. Normally, the Joker's, like, just cackling and plotting against Batman. And this, we get to see a little bit more of him uh, doing the logistical bits of his plan and then executing in the way... Um, at the leading up to that last page reveal. And like that stuff is fun and smart and makes this story seem fresh, despite the fact that we've been, I want to say, uh, drowning in Joker for the past couple of years. Yeah. Well, that uh, and also that it is another Gotham City is in flames story. Yeah. But it's still, which we've seen a million times. I don't know why anybody lives there, but. It, it, to your point, it still feels dangerous. It still feels like it could go either way at the end of the day. Um, great, great I, stuff. I, just before we move on, we were talking about like some oh shit moments towards the end, um, uh, but also like some touching stuff that happens in this too. Like just before Batman kind of gives his speech or right after it, uh, you know, someone gets a gift. Very touching. You're talking about the Nightwing costume, right? Yeah, I am. I'm trying not to spoil it, you fuck, but cool. Well, I mean, I think that's okay. We've already seen him in the costume several times because of the publishing schedule. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's good Bat Family stuff. James Tynan gets it. It works really well. This is a great issue. Moving on to another one, Thor number 7 from Marvel Comics, written by Donnie Cates and art by Aaron Cooter. Uh, this is picking up after the death of Galactus last issue and Thor's big vision that some bad things are coming not just his way, but the Marvel Universe's way. Uh, and uh, he is throwing Mjolnir down on Broxton once again yeah. because he feels like he is not worthy to pick it up. 
Turns out more people might be worthy to pick it up. Uh, as usual, Donny Cates just finds some fun, unique angles on his characters. And I love Aaron Cooter's art so much. Just yes. I, I love it. Like every time it's just a pleasure to see his name. It's uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable. The art is fantastic. Sorry, Justin. I mean, I didn't mean to cut you. No, off. please. It's your time to shine. Well, I this is such a fun back and forth between Tony and Thor that I love very much. Um, yeah, this is what a cool kind of setup for this new kind of arc. Uh, very excited to see where this goes. A little kind of twist on the unworthy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very much on board. It's, and it's uh, also great to see the kind of uh, uh, blanket on his name there. The Beta horse. Bill. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I was going to say horse Thor. Speaking of Beta Ray Bill, when he takes his uh, helmet off, that dude's fucked that up. That looks weird. Scary. It's very weird, yeah. I don't um, like him. He yeah, looks much less like a horse without his helmet. Yeah, and much more like a nightmare that I'm going to have uh, tonight. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel this this book reminded me of a conversation we've had a lot about Batman. Like Thor is a character that is like often pretty serious, like God dealing with God level things, speaking in very heightened language. Yeah, Donny Case finds a way to make this fun. Uh, there's a lot of like humor here, and Thor can play around. Something we've been talking about a lot lately with Batman is like, why does it always have to be doom and gloom? There's room in our ability as fans to take a character, two sides of a character, someone who takes their job seriously, but also likes to play around a little bit with his friends. And this book does a great job of keeping the action fun, the stakes high. I mean, two issues ago, everything was hell. And now here we are where um, we're having fun with uh, words on the on Mjolnir. Yeah, I just leave words on the hammer, man. Yeah, words on the hammer. That's what I always say. Moving on to one that I know Justin is super psyched about. Stillwater, number one, from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky and art by Ramon K. Perez. Now, this is a bit of a spoiler because they only eventually get around to it in the second half of the book. But it is the concept of the book. Uh, it's about a uh, guy who loses his job, gets an inheritance, or so he thinks, that brings him to the small town of Stillwater, and it turns out in the small town of Stillwater, nobody ever dies. Uh, yeah. Things get darker from there. Justin, talk about this book a little bit. I mean, uh, the art by uh, Ramon uh, K. Perez is so good. I love uh, his work. Um, on everything that he does. Um, I think the first book that really caught my eye did was, I think, called Tale of Sand, I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. based on a Jim Henson script. Um, and a uh, great book. And this just, uh, art really shines. Uh, the story itself reminded me a lot of Lovecraft Country, actually. Uh, the first mm-hmm. two episodes of that, um, except with uh, none of the race elements. And it's just like sort of, spoiled uh white dudes doing the going on a <laughs> similar journey um but uh the last the, the way the story ends is exciting and uh curious what the next move is if that makes sense yeah this is the new like hey i'm a prince and if you send me money uh you know i'll send you money tenfold like when you get the letter that somebody died and there's inheritance you don't fall for that all right, that's a trap. It's clear. If you didn't know that Wait, person, sorry, you Pete, did you just say somebody died and left me money? 
Uh, um, let me know where I need to go to pick it up. Oh, okay. Well, you got to go to Stillwater. And let me say on oh, the other okay. side, Pete, your great uncle, your rich great uncle, did die, and you have to go get that money. Like you can't just uh, leave that hanging there just because you're scared. Uh, I'm not going to fall for that. All right. It's all some right. creepy town. No, I, I back up what Justin is saying. This is true and accurate. And if you give us $50 right now, we'll tell you where to go. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll just Venmo you guys then. Yeah, that sounds great. Actually, you know what might be easier is if you gave us your credit card number. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Why don't I give it to you right over the air? All right. Go ahead. Yep. Five, 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 five. Yeah. <laughs> One, it is two, weird. Three. All your, it's all fives. It is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait, actually, I had a question just to step back. Uh, Thor, I didn't try this yet. Uh, the phone, the phone number he puts down on Mjolnir for Tony, that's just mm-hmm. like a regular two on two number, right? That's pretty weird. Uh, yeah, here, I, let me, uh, I got you right here. Two one two nine seven zero four one three three. Ooh, I don't get any phone service down here. You want to give it a call? Yeah, I'll give it a call. Okay. That oh, sounds man, great. That's exciting. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, I'll talk about Stillwater. Uh, this reminded me a little bit of Revival, the Tim Seeley book, uh, just in Ooh, terms of ah. concept, uh, which is a great book that everybody should check out. It does feel a little more noir and a little more focused on this character. I'm also sure Chip Starsky is aware of Revival and trying to do something different in that. Uh, but I'm curious to see how it delineates itself from that going on, uh, just in terms of the pure uh, people coming back to life. You about to call the number, Justin? Yes, and here we, uh, we have not planned this, so we truly have no idea what's going to come up here. This is going to be an old lady who's going to be like, Hello? Yes, this is Iron Man. However, due to some big blonde jerk, I no longer use this number. But hey, nice try anyway. For all things Tony Stark, please visit www.tonystarkironman.com and uh, try and stay safe out there, yeah? I'm busy enough as it is. Wow. That's, that's fun. Is. is that done? That's cool. Uh, it's maybe. It, it could it be. Sounds it, like it. it sounds like him. Yeah. Uh, fun stuff. Good times fun with stuff. comic books. Uh, pick up Still Order number one. Uh, moving on to, this is going to be a mouthful. You ready? Detective Comics number 1027 from DC Comics. This is an anniversary issue, so it's a bunch of stories. So it is written by... Peter J. Tomasi, Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, James Tynan IV, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Marv Wolfman, Grant Morrison, Tom King, Snot Snyder, Dan Jurgens, and Mariko Tamaki. And the art is by Brad Walker, David Marquez, Chip Zdarsky, Wardo Risa, Riley Rosmo, John Romita Jr., Emmanuel Lupacino, Chris Burnham, Walter Simonson, Ivan Rice, Kevin Nolan, and Dan Mora. So, it's you read it. You read it so fat, fast. It sounded like you said "snot Snyder." You it did sound Scott like snot. It did uh, sound like snot. <laughs> Thank you for picking on the thing that I screwed up out of twenty names. <laughs> Alex, I just wanted to say you really nailed it when you said Peter J. Tomasi, Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, and the rest. <laughs> uh, I like this package. I know we talk a lot about short story connections. This is a Justin good- loves talking about nice packages. this is a good set of batman stories i was fully prepared to be like yeah i don't know i like this one but i liked most of them yeah Uh, no it was hard to pick a favorite um as well i really liked the the master class uh story was a, a good use of the bat family 
where everyone really got to pop for a second. The Grant Morrison uh, detective number 26 story was like so funny, so fun. And like I was like, oh, Grant Morrison. Yes. I haven't seen that Grant Morrison in quite a while where it's just like finds a little uh, fun bit and just needles it into a story. I, I mean, I'll mention what the idea of the story is, as you can figure out, it's the guy who came the issue before Batman, and he's all ready to be the next big vigilante. He's going to be the silver ghost. He has the whole plan. He has his origin story. He has his motivation, everything. And then he goes out on his first mission, and he sees Batman, and he's like, ah, shit. This <laughs> guy's got good branding, good ears. To your point, it's great. I want more of that out of Grant Morrison. I don't need, like, crazy musical notes from Superman saving the universe anymore. Just give me that fun stuff. Like, he did that on yeah. Klaus. As well, at least at the beginning, where it was just the simple idea of what if Santa was battle Santa? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. More of that fun stuff. Uh, Pete, uh, which ones did you like? What were you uh, into? I really loved the Fraction Happy Returns. The yeah. Rucka Rookie story was really great. Oh, that so We've, we've yeah. Had an Eye on You was an mo- awesome moment. That was cool. Love the shout out to the old costume and Generations Fractured. And the Dan Moore art and the gift, uh, uh, yes, please, just fantastic. Yeah, just such a good package across the board. It really is. It's one of those ones where you're like, all right, a collection, but then you're like, holy shit, this is worth it. Yeah, pretty much every story is good. The art is great. Definitely pick this up. Uh, Next up, Goosebumps, Secrets of the Swamp, number one from IDW, written by uh, Marike Nijakab, and art by Yasmin Flores Montanez. This is a new story, I guess, set in the Goosebumps universe. This is honestly something that is very much out of my wheelhouse. I never read Goosebumps as a kid or anything like that. Um, But it's about a kid who is a gamer. Uh, She has one prosthetic arm, so clearly she feels uncomfortable about going outside. But she meets another friend who's a prominent gamer, and they begin exploring their town that has some spooky monsters in it. What do you think about this book? Well, uh, yeah, I'm... Not really a big goosebumps head, but I really like the start of this. This is a solid first issue. Does a great job of introducing uh, interesting characters and then throwing into them into a shit show. And I understand, like you look up to some hero, somebody you admire, and they're like, "Oh yeah, kid, you want to roll with me?" Guess what? We're going out into the nightmare that is this world. And um, I appreciate you explaining a all ages, mostly kids book, as throwing them into a shit show. Well, yeah. what would you call that fucking swampland that they live in? Swamp. There's nothing wrong with swamp. I'm and not saying yeah. that. But what, what's so scary about a swamp? Monsters, what's so scary about a swamp, Pete? Because it feels it's moist. No, they have straight up monsters in their fucking swamp. Yeah, but you you seem like hung up on the swamp. Like the swamp no, nice. You are the, the one hung up on the fill the swamp. Oh. That's what I always cheer a piece <laughs> yeah. of That is what you always cheer. Even yeah. your time cheerleading at Cornell uh, University, uh, you were a huge fill the swamp. See you. Go big red. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just building out some of our uh, background uh, on the show. Um, it, I liked this. Uh, I like this a lot. The goose. I also didn't read Goosebumps, so I don't know what Goosebumps brings to this story. It's just like a creepy story, I guess. The branding on it, um, because this story of uh, of these people coming together uh, sort of through gaming and then like the gaming becoming real. And then they go in the swamp to face a monster could stand on its own in a fun way. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a fun like, all-ages really, story. Uh, like you said, I like the characters. I wanted a little more out of the story, but I feel like obviously we're going to get that in the yeah, second issue. issue. Issue two is a good spot to look for that. Yeah, wait for yeah. ourselves. Come on. <laughs> uh, there you go. Let's move on to another one. Giant Size X-Men Storm number one from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Russell Dodderman. Now, we have talked incessantly with these Giant Size X-Men books about what is going on here. These seem like half-finished stories. What is now, happening? Wahapis, as one might say. Mm, nope. Nope, now, but I would not say that. Uh, this wait, I issue, also wanted oh, to say, though, that this Jordan D. White said that this issue would change things for Storm forever. So there was a lot of hype going into this issue. Well, and can you pinpoint what that is? Yeah, yeah. What? It turns out Storm is sick and she's got some things going on and it makes me very sad. Well, but she... No. no. <laughs> she's cured by the end. Spoiler. Yeah, is she, though? Because it seems like that demon they pulled out of her is just going to grow. The only thing it. that I was going to say, just to kind of finish up the uh, thing that I was saying and that we can turn over to the rest of it, is <laughs> this is finally bringing together some threads, specifically from the giant size X-Men issues. Uh, we get the Nightcrawler one, which focused a little bit on Cypher. We get the Storm one, uh, obviously, which... Uh, or I guess it was the... Gene Gray one, maybe I, I honestly so. don't remember. Whatever it was, it was a storm story, and they're finally picking up on that. Uh, and we also get the Phantom X one uh, picking up with that as well, and starting to loop all of these disparate threads together. Uh, Justin, what did you think about this? Because you've been very critical is probably the wrong word, but I, I would say dubious at least. Yeah, surprised just in these. general yeah. that these have been sort of. Off, off the main character uh, standalone stories are seemingly standalone stories. But uh, to your point, what you were just saying, I do think this amounts to a lot. It feels like I don't know if uh, maybe it's faded in our minds because of how much has happened in the X universe since the dawn of X. But so much of those first issues were about uh, sort of the artificial intelligence that will eventually mm -hmm. destroy not only the mutants but the humans and be the the real the real enemy um, if humans and mutants can uh, get over their shit and face AI and it feels like maybe this is the moment where it starts that this uh, the being in the world which um, the whole premise of the world is that it accelerates time it accelerates evolution so they pull this techno organic virus that Storm picked up uh, in a recent issue where they went into uh, what is the place. They went the into Orcus. Yeah, I think. the Orc yeah. uh, Orcus and the Children of the Vault is the what I was trying to think of. Um, and she pulls this techno organic virus. The Children of the Vault, also a hyper evolving uh, hyper time place, and takes it to this other, even more pocket dimension where uh, the time extends even it happens even faster. And I think that is the AI evolution that will eventually lead to some of the real monsters that the X-Men face in the Dawn of X issues. And the people we have at the end of this issue sort of being there are Phantom X, Phantom X's uh, sort of twin, I guess. Twin. Yeah. And then a random dude from AIM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and the other thing that's kind of messed up about it, particularly as I'm a fan of the character, is Cypher and Warlock seem to know what's going on and seem to be kind of cool with it, which yes. is not great. There's definitely been some weird, potentially dangerous stuff going on with Cypher and Warlock 
over the course of this entire run, and that certainly seems to be the clearest tip of the hat to what's happening here. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree with you, Justin. This is like, I think the important thing, it's surprising you said Storm, because I think the important thing is to the overall plot of what is happening with the X-Men line since the very beginning versus necessarily Storm. Yeah, it feels like a bigger thing. And that's why I always say, don't trust the guy that speaks all the languages. Yeah. You know, he's he's up at the bar, he's talking to the bartender, ordering you a weird drink, because he knows too much. Uh, but yeah, good issue, particularly if you've been reading these giant size X-Men books. If you've been read House of X and Powers of Ten and you really like those, I think this is a good thing to pick up on to kind of get potentially the ongoing story. Let's move on to Big Girls number two from Image Comics Story and Art by Jason Howard. Um, I think we were pretty into, but a little reserved on the first issue of this book. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where uh, women grow to gigantic size. Men also grow to gigantic size, but become monsters and are attacking one of the last remaining cities. We've been following one of the call, so-called big girls who is fighting back against them. We get more fleshed out about the world this issue. I like this issue a lot more personally because because of the details and the nuance that it added. How'd you guys feel? Yeah, this is uh, good because it's like, all right, now we're kind of really getting understanding of who's who, where's what type of situation. Who's big, who's little. Yeah, yeah. Men are monsters, women are saving the world. It's great. Uh, I do think, though, that uh, the kind of reveal at the end is really what's going to kind of take this concept and kind of push it. Uh, but the art's great. The action's phenomenal. Uh, it's an interesting world, so I'm excited for more. But I'm glad that, uh, and I agree with Zalbin, uh, that issue two kind of like solidified things a little bit better. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's nice to sort of, uh, like you're saying, Pete, see the sides uh, of where everyone is. We have our main character who's a little bit dubious about the status quo. And then we have this sort of rebel faction in the back half that is uh, uh, maybe. Also, I was, a little, I was a little worried about how slow uh, that one main character was to pull the trigger to save that other person's life there. I was like, thought that would be a bigger issue and it might come back. Uh, we'll have yeah. to see what happens. I love the there double page spread. Um in the middle of the book of uh, the uh, our main big girl being operated on, yeah, and sort of repaired, like it really. Oh yeah, that was fun. Some of the like you know, cowgirl but, as she's known. Yeah, very and, very Gulliver in yeah, that moment. Yeah, Gulliver, and I was going to say like Fraggle Rock reminded me of the Doozers <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Doozers, you see, right? You say Fraggle Rock a lot. <laughs> down just in Fraggle general. Rock, what? Yeah, no, down at Fraggle Rock. Just, yeah, yeah. Down no. frack rock. Yeah. That's not down a criticism. That's just an open-ended statement. Peel Every time I walk by a, a construction site, I want to take a bite out of it. What? Every time I walk past a pile of garbage, I want to talk. Yeah. To <laughs> you. So that's you walk you past look- a construction site and you're like, "What up, doozers?" And they're like, "Get the <laughs> fuck out of here." <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to build radishes here. Come on. <laughs> Justice League number 53 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson and art by Zermanico. This is tying into Dark Knight's death metal. This arc is called Doom Metal and focuses on one mission of, uh, I think it's fair to call them sub-Justice League members. Slash sub- yeah, I'm sorry. Spicy. It's Nightwing. Shots it's Detective fired. Chimp. 
It's Hawkgirl. She's a member of the Justice League. Uh, but they are going after Perpetua's throne. Uh, Pete, you raised your hand. What would you like to say? I would say cute start. What a touching, <laughs> adorable start. You know, a little Robin trying to sneak up on Batman. I thought it was that way. Uh, great. Um, I... I <laughs> I guess I agree with Pete technically, um, but I do like. I mean, the POV angles like it really was a kid looking up at these heroes. I thought that was such great attention to detail that really gave. This really a- is not helping my theory that you don't read beyond the first page or two, Pete. Yeah. Okay. That's Fine. one conspiracy theory. I How can about get the born on a doomsday panel? That was later, you dick. That was awesome. I mean, I was that was gonna- like page four. Oh, look, he's flipping through the book right now. Uh, the, the, how about this thing at the last page that I just looked at? Yeah, you see this UPC code on the back cover? Woo! Did not see that coming. That's, how you, that's how you buy this the book. Fun. They scan it. Cool. What were you going to say, Justin? Ah, yes. I thought P was going to have a uh, slight rebuttal. Um, no, no, I'm just enjoying how much you guys enjoy uh, you know, shooting holes and everything I'm trying to do. We're trying to oh, do? <laughs> what are you trying to do? I don't know, give my opinion, but apparently it's not good enough because no. it only no. is stuff it's, that happens. It's in a the very beginning. good opinion. It's a very good opinion. I'm just doing a classic Raz, a classic comic book club Raz beat. Uh, that's why they call him Alex Razalbin. Uh, <laughs> I agree with Pete. Uh, there's a lot of fun in this book. I love this sort of. It feels like a like a. Uh, a side quest in a like fantasy game or a fantasy series mm-hmm. in a fun way. Like there, I could read a lot of this death metal stuff for a, maybe a long time. It's fun. Uh, I it's like surprising, the right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's silly. Like y- y- Pete, you did bring up the born on a doomsday. The Solomon Grundies who are also doomsdays. It's yeah. the sort of thing where you get to this point. You're like, this is so stupid. But it works at the same time. Yeah. Where so it's great. just it's just mashing your toys together. That's all it is. But they're having such a good time with it. It's fun to read. A Solomon mm. Grundy arm falls off. You put a doomsday on. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to Seven Secrets Number Two from Boob Studios, written by Tom Taylor and art by Danielle DiNucolo. Uh We really like the first issue of this, though. I think. I think there was a little criticism from some of us about the end perhaps being a little confusing or not sure where it was going necessarily, Uh, but it is about a world uh, where there's a secret society. They hold seven secrets. We're focusing on one character uh, who is part of that, who is the son of two of the characters who hold two of those secrets. Uh, One of those characters, at least one of those characters, dies in the last issue, uh, and there's a big villain who's trying to take them all down. We flash back this issue and get an Origin, um, I thought not only was this issue the great, but the cliffhanger was superb, like one of the best that I've read in a really long time, like the last sentence of the book, uh, and made me even way more into this book than I was before. Wow. I read that like last part and was like, oh man, that's more heartbreaking than we need. Did you need to do that at the end? Uh, but I agree. This is uh, this is information that we needed, and it's important uh, moving forward. I'm glad they kind of took a breath to give us this kind of flashback type of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm really into this book now. This uh, this issue got me more hyped about it. 
Yeah, especially in an issue that felt like it was laying a lot of groundwork. It felt like a sort of an exposition-y issue. Um, a lot of like uh, sort of um, uh, drama in the like the King's Court style drama. And then to end on that emotional like just build up to that last panel was really well done. I can't yeah, even it, look at oh, – I'm sorry. No, no. All I was going to say was that it, I'd be really fascinated to hear how Tom Taylor structured this because it almost feels like you have this – very Harry Potter sort of training section that potentially would come first. Then you go up to the inciting incident, which is the thing where the society gets messed up and then you follow through from there. But he flipped it. You know, he went from first issue to second issue and he reversed the order of them and it works so well. It's very, very smart. You get the the word I was trying words I was trying to come up with earlier were palace intrigue. This issue is so much Mm -hmm. palace intrigue Mm -hmm. and ending on a real strong emotional beat. I was just going to say that uh, I can't look at a gold little ducky without getting choked up anymore. Oh, man. Sad stuff. Really? Let's move on to something that probably creeps you the fuck out, Pete. The Immortal Hulk, number 37 from Marvel, written by Al Ewing and art by Joe Bennett. So the... uh, the door is finally open. We finally know who the big villain of this book is. It's the leader, of course. Yeah, he is, of course it or is. Or maybe, or maybe it is. There might be something beyond what? that. But the leader is looking to manipulate the green door the way that the Hulk and other gamma-irradiated heroes have been resurrected constantly, hence the immortal Hulk of the title. Uh, while the Hulk is outside fighting in the real world, the re- leader is in Side this hellscape or whatever is going on there. He has taken over Rick Jones. Uh, he has taken over. Who's the second one he's taken over? I don't remember. There, uh, there's. A, oh, he's taken over the, the irradiated guy, whatever the irradiated guy from the earlier yeah, in the run. Yeah. Uh, the and there's somebody issue. else that he's taken over as well, that he hits at. We don't know who that is yet, but, uh, oh, God, I cannot say enough about how terrifying it is to read every issue of this book. Yeah. 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 It's, it's too much, man. It's too much. It's gone too far. It's gone too far. I love this book and the way the sense of dread that's been building from issue one and it just keeps extending to end not only with the writing, uh, but the art, despite all of the like, uh, body uh, just disaster that's happening on all these pages. You still get references to older Hulk artists. Like the last page feels like right out of Hulk history. And so much of it, um, feel it feels just so big. Every issue, big and horrifying, just like I want everything to be. Is This is a very meta way of looking at it, but it is very exciting to be reading an all-timer, you know, like you don't get that often when you're reading a book, but you read this book and you're like, this is a Hulk run that people are going to talk about for decades. You know, this is going to be talked about in the same breath as Peter David's run, as the original run, uh, as all these other classic runs of the Hulk and other characters. And uh, I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know where this is going to go. But being in the middle there between Al Ewing's writing and Joe Bennett's art, which is uh, so like good. Cronenberg-esque in exactly the right way, it's it's very exciting to read every issue of this book. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Great. Thanks. Glad you agree, Pete. Uh, just a nod. No, uh, no well, thanks. I mean, it's just, I'm glad you guys are having fun. That's nice. Uh, Pete's scared. A, Pete's scared. This is a, a horror book with one of my favorite characters. So you guys enjoy your time. I'll I'll wait until we get Hulk. Back. If only is there another book you could read where the Hulk does something like I don't know like smash? Yeah, I don't think there isn't. I don't think there is any. Yeah. Oh wait, they it's all, of all of this. <laughs> Try it number five from Oni Press, written by Curtis Weeb, illustrated by Justin Osterling. I'll give a little pluggy plug here. Go check out our bonus episode where we talk to the team behind this book in the Comic Book Club feed. It was a blast and a pleasure to talk to them about the last issue of the book as well as the run. Uh, but Try it number five, we have our main characters now in the city. They are uh, battling folks. They are trying to figure out what's going on. The kids have no idea. There's a big twist, as usual, towards the end of this issue. What do you think about this one? This book continues to go its own way. Like, you cannot predict the storytelling here. And <laughs> it's, like, fully into, like, sci-fi, like, big sci-fi, like, Blade Runner-esque uh, corporate intrigue um, and did not see that coming curious with some still fantasy elements popping through but where this it's one of the few books I feel like we read where it's like I have no idea where we're headed yeah it's very interesting like each issue is kind of like its own thing and what's great is you don't know what you're going to get when you pick up this book but it continues to tell a story just uh, somehow more creatively and different ways uh it's impressive to kind of see this thing move forward um i i continue to be impressed by the art and the storytelling in this one we get a lot more action and then some of the stuff that zelvin likes at the end but like it's uh it's, what does that mean it's, you know what i'm talking about that hot tub shit at the end that got got a little weird that you're into what no come on pete I mean, that was pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, I love a hot tub. I wish there was another book you know what was talking best about, about that is like the hot tub scene. Oh, uh, man. The hot tub scene being like cut between the guy who had his legs blasted off. I was like, fuck yeah. Give me yeah. more of that. Inject that into my veins. No, it was good. I, the That was fine. That was a good Ted scene and fleshed out more about the world. But I'm way more into what's going on with the kids and what's happening at the end. Great, great yeah. stuff. Uh, Catwoman number 25 from DC Comics, written by Ram V and art by Fernando Blanco. This is a bunch of different things. This is tying into yeah. the Joker War. Almost an essential chapter of it as we find yeah. out what Catwoman does with Bruce Wayne's money, but also setting up a new classic status quo for Catwoman that I thought was great. I like this book across the board. Yeah. I really I had a little burp there at the end. I'm sorry. Okay. I really loved the like amazing flashback sequences with the kind of tiger stuff that was almost like this orangish type painting kind of thing that was really cool. Plus the way they kind of drew the action with Catwoman was really a lot of fun where you're kind of like on the same page, you see her kind of like doing different moves. To me that's kind of like old school comic book style and I really enjoyed that. Uh, we talked about this. I also a little... burped at the end. That was weird. That is weird, uh, you guys. <laughs> gas management, <laughs> gas management, bros. Uh, Justin is coming for you. No, no. <laughs> I am fully in charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, 
well, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier when you we were talking about the, the Batman books, but I want Batman to, some resolution on the Batman Catwoman relationship because it yeah. feels like we've been uh, in this space because of whatever happened with changing up the creative teams when they did. Uh, we're in this place where it's like, wait, she's just moving his money around and like sort of not hanging out. Like, what's the deal? Want to know about their relationship? But uh, aside from that sort of unrelated uh, bother, this was a, a an essential chapter. I think like seeing Catwoman doing this makes you understand the main story a lot more for the Joker War. Yeah. I agree. All right. Let's move into a little part of the show. And this is the end of the show here, which I like to call the Pete sandwich. And the reason I call it the Pete sandwich is because we got a book Pete really wants to talk about. Three books Pete does not want to talk about, and then a book <laughs> Pete wants to talk about. Yeah, That's yeah sandwich. Pull back, pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, but let's uh, let's get. And to the, the best way to eat a sandwich uh, is you start with the one, the piece of bread that you really like, yeah. then you eat the middle, and then you get to the other piece of bread, which is the other thing you really like. Yeah, bre- <laughs> bread's nice, man. Sometimes. Nice, fresh bread makes everything better. You just mash yeah. the sandwich bread first into your face and chew your way Whenever, out. Whenever yeah. I go to a deli, I'm like, hey, I love a, love an Italian hero. Uh, then take the salami and the pepperoni and the capicola. You throw that out. Yeah. You throw uh, that capicola, out. Capicola, I love it. You get rid of it. I just want capicola. Just like, you just want the bread. Like, no, you put it on there bread. and then you throw it out. I don't like it. Oil and vinegar, you throw it out. Once in Future, number 11 from Boom Studios, written by Kieran Gillen and illustrated by Dan Mora. Holy shit, the end of this issue was fucking uh. insane. Not to curse too much, uh, but they have been fighting Grendel uh, of the Beowulf myth. They took care of Beowulf. This issue, they're finally taking care of Grendel. You can kind of see where this is going. You know this oh. where this is going. But the way Dan Mora draws this is so horrific and so perfect. Yeah. This really issue good. is great. This is one of my, like, I like the series anyway, but this is one of my favorite issues in a while. Yeah, this is really just kind of back to what started this thing and made us love it so much. Uh, just unbelievable action this amazing grandmother in the heart of it uh i i can't i mean if you don't like this book i don't know what to tell you like this to me is like great comics unbelievable art unbelievable storytelling the action and violence is just just chef's kiss just fantastic i'm having so much goddamn fun with this book yeah, uh, shout out to um, our interview with Kieran Gillen where we talked about this book a lot um, be- because it really informs a lot of the process and it makes it so much richer to read this book, hearing him talk about it, uh, because you get to see in this issue the story that they're sort of caught up in and fighting catch up with them simultaneously. It feels like yeah. they've been sort of alongside the story or ahead of the story a little bit. And this uh, last panel, last couple panels or pages, you really see the story like come up and be like, you, you're done. We got you here. <laughs> and that's yeah. really satisfying to see on top of the fact that it's just a great action story and sequence and wildly uh, bloody in a fun way. Yeah. 
So good. Uh, this issue is great. Uh, let's move on to the... Sorry, I got a little sick there even thinking about a Capicola of the stack. X-Men number 12 from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Lydia Francis Yu. Uh, so in this issue, what we are... What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? He's into, the, he's into like the meat. He hates the man. meat. This no, is no, a no, classic... No, 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 no. This... Okay, all right, fine. You're going to have Fuck Island. You're going to You can't keep adding crazier shit on top no, of crazier man. shit. Listen, you have classic. to deal with it. You can't keep just fucking adding crazy shit. Can't you? Can't what? you? How how did Hickman say how did he pitch this to everybody? Okay, guys, I'm going to change the X-Men forever. And just when you think it can't get crazier, I'm going to keep Adding crazier. I'm not going to deal with any of it. I'm just going to keep going to crazy town and then walk away. The reason I said this was the Capicola is because it has the surprising sliced peppercorns in the middle where you're like, what? Well, where did that come Ooh, from? Spicy. Uh, yeah, a classic X-Men book. As we all know, Apocalypse uh, originally came from the dimension of Araco, a separate island next door to what Krakoa that has since uh, had sex with and joined with Krakoa. Uh, his uh, grandchildren have kept on his legacy. There is the opposite of Apocalypse, the evil Apocalypse, because as we all know, <laughs> Apocalypse is good now. Uh, Famously is- heroic. What is happening? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. This is definitely like it's funny to read this after the past couple of issues where Jonathan (laughs) Nick was like, I don't know, Magneto's killing shit on the moon or whatever. I don't know what's (laughs) going on. This is fun. They're just killing some plants. We're having a good time. Isn't this fun? Is he throwing? Yeah, this is fun. fun He's like, (sighs) Did you forget that I'm Jonathan Hickman? I mean, I think (laughs) let me I think I can shout out everyone's favorite panel from this issue for everyone's favorite page. Excuse me. um, The info page sort of two thirds of the way through where we list the summoners of a month. And it's an infographic where we find out about the summoners from the school of a month, this world that we've just uh, invented and arrived at and how you can either be a shitty summoner, a decent summoner or a kick ass summoner. Um, and can summon Pete. This used to find this fun. You can summer, summon a horde of elementals and up to three major daemons. It is wild that in the course of one issue, Jonathan Hickman is like, oh, yeah, Apocalypse had a wife and uh, also a evil opposite Apocalypse who is going to kick off this Ted of Swords type thing or whatever because there's all these powerful swords. It's no big deal. Anyway, let's go into a hole. It's all good. And then it picked up on this random game that he introduced and then got away from in the last issue yeah. is insane. Yeah. And he's like, oh, don't worry. If In case you're worried this isn't an X-Men book focused on the heroic X-Men, don't worry, because we got Banshee and Unis the Untouchable coming along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> also, they're all mutants. They're all mutants. And one of their powers is to never lose. Which is crazy. That's a hell of a thing to say. Yeah. This is the, I mean, this is saying a lot. This was the most Jonathan Hickman issue of X-Men so far. 
I mean, well, it's, it's a full-on fantasy story at this point. That's why I think this issue is a real is pointing us to what Ten of Swords is going to be, and it's going to be this. It's going to be you epic, grand-scale battles with people and places that we don't know too much about and may never. <laughs> but that's but okay. Like, uh, well, all I'm going to say is like. I've been enjoying this enough, and this has been crazy enough that I'm willing to follow them down this rabbit hole into yes. Insaneville that I don't I'm, understand. 100%. But I also think about, hold on, Pete, I do want to hear what you have to say, but the only thing that I want to say is you think back to like 90s, 2000s X-Men that were like, oh yeah, there's Omega level mutants. Oh yeah, now there's externals. All of these things that we... 20, 30 years down the road are like, yes, yes, that's part of canon. I get that and I understand that. That's what they're doing right now. That's what he is doing is he's adding in these insane details into the X-Men mythos that decades down the road, we're going to be like, yes, I remember that. That is uh, Araco. That's what happens there. Alex, what are you crazy? Uh, immortal mutants that don't know they're immortal. That's normal. Ten swords. <laughs> That's insane. Can you imagine 10 swords? I'm sorry. Uh, That's too much. I just want to start by saying I'm not willing to follow them into this crystal anus that they're walking into. (laughs) All right. This is too insane. It's not an X-Men book. I don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. I guess I'm changing your birthday plans, Pete, because uh, it's, it's very similar to that. Okay, well, I I have no idea what the fuck is happening, who the fuck is doing what. What? I, I cool. This is. I'm glad people are having fun, but are you wake me when the so X Men? I, I don't up. usually like to talk about like further episodes of the stack, but next week we're going to be reading Dawn of X of Swords, Enter the Crystal Atus, number one, <laughs> uh, and I hope I hope you're going to read it, Pete. Yeah. I have a feeling you're going to love it. I feel bad because the Crystal Anus is one of my favorite bars in Brooklyn, and it closed because of COVID. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. It's too bad. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another. Uh, let's move on to the, uh, let's say, salami of this particular Good. stack. Uh, Faithless number two, number four. There we go. From Boob Studios, written by Brian Azzarello at Art by Maria Lovett. Uh, yeah, this, I feel like we were a little down on the last issue of Faithless. Justin, I'm talking specifically to you because Pete doesn't want to talk about this at all. Um, this issue I thought was very good. This is Faith finally shows off her art. She goes on a tour of Turin, I believe, with uh, maybe a demon or a fallen angel or something like that. Uh, very weird, very dark. Uh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I feel like what we've been talking about is it feels like this book has been spinning its wheels for a couple issues where it's like, we get it. She's an artist. There's all these like uh, dark clouds gathering around her with uh, demonic intentions. But I think this issue, especially the back half or the back third, we get sort of what the book is about a little bit. And it's about mm-hmm. her being this conduit um, through sex to connect with uh, ghosts and sort of use them in her art and like that feels I knowing that is great is helpful to maybe giving her power in the story to guide it as opposed to just be this innocent washed up in all this chaos yeah I mean it's sort of 
it's interesting because it's kind of a battle for her soul type thing, right? Like they've been pretty clear about that. It's Dante-esque, et cetera. But you have this master artist who is coming in, who is encouraging her to go further in the darkness versus she has this guy who comes out of the devil's door, but he's good in a way. He like inspires her to be better. Um, and it's fascinating. This is Pete. You must have loved this issue, right? The Devil's Door was actually the back entrance to the Crystal Anus, and again, closed forever. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so, I mean, what sucks is, like, the, uh, I thought we were going to kind of get away from all the madness a little bit, and then it's like, oh, this is, like, a nice date. But then it's like, oh, yeah, of course, the the dead person with an open head wound is going to still get some because this is a fucking weird-ass book. But, like... Uh, it gives all, you hope, though, right? If you ever yeah, get it, I had a little hope, and then the douchebag showed up at the end again. No, so. no, no. I mean, like, if you ever get a head wound, you might still be, you know, on the market. Yeah, yeah, still bangable. Yeah, that's it's true. You know, just because you got an open head wound doesn't mean you still can't get some. I guess is the the moral. That's the, the spirit. Yeah, Pete, that's what it says on my Tinder profile. <laughs> Alex, you've been married for so long You gotta shut that Tinder profile down Yeah I did actually Not to uh, veer into a true story I, I don't think yes. we were married yet But we were definitely How dating for like No, I had a I had a nerve profile And like four years into dating my wife Right before I proposed to her I was featured on nerve As a single And I was like, oh shit <laughs> Oh no, oh, that's hilarious! Uh, what happened? Bummer. Metal pocket anyway, the ring. Metal pocket down, the ring on, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I honestly went on only like three or four dates before I shut it down off of that. Uh, but yeah, then we got married. Well, that's a beautiful Great. story, and was a great toast at your wedding, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's move on to the Serrano ham of uh, the stack. The Ooh, this Spider-Man is a high-class sub. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good sub. It's a Brooklyn-style sub. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. Sins of Doors and Osborne, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer and art by Federico uh, Vincentini. This is another essential chapter of the storyline, it feels like, that I don't understand why it's a one-shot other than them trying to maybe hit the timing right for anniversary issues or something. Uh, but this is Spider-Man is trying to save Norman Osborn. The spider family is trying to decide whether to stop him uh, or not uh, from the Sid eater. Um, I thought this was very good. I've been liking this storyline quite a bit. I mean, I agree. I've been loving the Sin Eater stuff, like such a departure from what Nick Spencer was doing before. This storyline is wild. Like there's so much happening here, touching on a ton of continuity. So like, much stuff. Like the fact that the Sin Eater kills Negative Man and then adapts his powers uh, is it's like, oh, you have to know you have to have been reading Spider-Man <laughs> for a long time to know what the fuck's happening. Yeah. Also, like. It's just so much like stuff that you're like, oh, that could have been an ending. Oh, that could have been an ending. And then the whole juggernaut thing is just such a couple panels that could have been such a huge thing. I, I was just really surprised at how much shit is jam packed in this issue and what the actual like, oh, shit reveal at the end is like uh, uh, there's just so much stuff packed in here. It's kind of surprising a little bit. Yeah, uh, but it's a good issue, particularly if you've been reading Amazing Spider-Man. Definitely pick this one up. Last one, Back to the Bread, 
as yeah. we expected. Head Lopper number 13 from Image Comics, story and art by Andrew McLean. Pete, I gotta say, there is no head lopping in this book. And in fact, he has a chance to hop, lop ahead. And he says, no, I didn't want to lop it. Um, I thought this book was garbage. Oh <laughs> my God. First off, didn't live, uh, didn't live up to the title. I expect yeah. a little well, more head lopping for my head lopper. That's all I'm okay, saying. Okay, well, why, why, if you don't like it, you be quiet and uh, me and Justin won't talk about it then. Okay, so first off, because <laughs> uh, we all know talking about the first page is the most important thing. Love the map stuff. I love where you kind of <laughs> give us a map of the world, setting things up really great, kind of starts off with some deep quotes to kind of get you in this mindset. For something that isn't just violence and action, there's more to it if you can kind of look past it, for if you will. But man, this comic just delivers nonstop. It's a fun action story with some heart, with some uh, just amazing creative team behind. I I love it. It, it keeps getting better and better, and I I don't think I'll ever. It seems like a simple concept. But it goes so far beyond that. I'm I'm very happy with like the team that they're traveling with now is very cool, and the art continues to be badass. Let me throw this out to you, Pete, and tell me if this is something you like or something you hate. Uh, this book is. Uh, oh wait, you... wait! I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I would prefer a prosciutto instead of ham on my uh, my Italian subs. Yeah. Oh, all right. How many salted meats? I chose Serrano ham based on Norman Osborne, who seems a little more like a ham to me. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. All right. Right. And the salami for Faithless, I think you can figure out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Love it. Uh, Yeah. So what were you going to say? What I would say is this book is Usagi Ojimbo meets The Legend of Zelda. And it's a a fun book. Oh, that hit such a sweet spot. That's what I'm saying. That's that sweet Pete. Yeah. The art of this book is great, to be totally serious about it. It's so good. Um, It is fun fantasy stuff. It's funny. I think, like, there's a little bit of a crossover in terms of the pacing and the story with Murder Falcon in a certain way. Like, they're totally different stories, but in terms of uh, very similar-looking characters, just like these short, stocky, angry dudes who chop up things. You know, I don't know why you like that specifically, Pete, but uh, that seems to be in your real house. Um, But it's a good book. Definitely pick it up. All right. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to crowdcast in YouTube. Thanks, Pete. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. We'll see you next week at the Virtual Comic Book Shop. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. 
Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.